Hi there, and welcome to the North County Beat. I'm your host, Kelly Kyle. Today's episode is focusing on something that's been on my mind lately, nothing. I'll explain, but first, a message from our sponsor. Casa de Bandini at the Forum in Carlsbad is now serving takeout so you can get all the fresh, authentic flavors you love at home, plus delicious margaritas to go. The Coast News and Casa de Bandini are teaming up to give away $50 gift cards for some great food and drink. For details, follow at Coast News on Instagram. Okay, let's dive in. It is no secret that the COVID-19 pandemic has taken a tremendous toll on our mental health. In fact, a recent study from the Kaiser Family Foundation found that 4 in 10 Americans are now reporting symptoms of depression and anxiety. That's up from just 1 in 10 in June of 2019. The economic recession led to job loss for many, and lockdown led to isolation for many more. And all of that, combined with the stress of an election year, left us with a mental health crisis on our hands, while still dealing with a global pandemic. The early indicators are that it's going to be it's our, it's, our, it's going to be even bigger, heavier toll psychologically on recovering from this. Dr. Fadel Zaidan is a neuroscientist at the University of California, San Diego. His research focuses on ways to train the brain to more easily control our response to stress. This this has shown us that we really don't have much control out there. Uh, maybe we could figure out a way to control what's in here. And, and that's what we're hopefully working on. Zaidan studies mindfulness, a buzzword that you've likely heard about on the news or social media. In fact, most folks in the field actually aren't huge fans of the phrase since it's become kind of distorted as a result of the trendiness. In this reporting, you'll hear me call it mindfulness for clarity, but just know that researchers like Zaidan call it like it is, a breathing technique to help us become more present and aware, which over time can improve the ways that we respond to stressful or anxiety-inducing situations. This is something that I've been trying out myself recently, so that's why, albeit briefly, I've had the luxury to have nothing on my mind. It is a work in progress, so I will let you know how that goes. Now, some may choose to practice mindfulness by doing yoga. Hello, friends near and far, and welcome to Yoga with Adrian. I'm Adrian. Today we have a special meditation. This is a very simple practice. Or engaging with sound. And the exhales to be a little bit longer. Or just sitting in nature. But you don't have to do any of that. Of course, for some, mindfulness is very spiritual or even religious. And that's okay, but not required. At the end of the day, it's about breathing. It's really all about stabilizing your attention by focusing on the breath repeatedly and acknowledging the distracting thoughts and feelings and emotions that arise when you're focusing on the breath because your mind will wander, and how you can regulate your reactions to those distracting thoughts, feelings, and emotions by bringing your attention back to the breath. Zaidan currently runs Zaidan Lab at UCSD, where he and his team of scientists study how mindfulness can be used to treat pain and mental illness. 20 years ago, when Zaidan was pursuing an undergraduate degree in psychology, the study of mindfulness was still in the very early stages, 
And even his professors were hesitant toward it. They're like, no, 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 no. If you want your career to end, you study meditation because it's frou-frou. So I was like, all right. But I still did did my thesis as an undergrad on meditation for anxiety. His research focused on kids with special needs. These were very intelligent kids, but they had the emotional behavioral problems that impeded their learning. So I worked with them in the morning and afternoon. We do 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes of practice. Many of the kids were on medication for their conditions and were performing poorly in school. But by the end of Zidane's meditation study, they exhibited the highest academic performance in the state increase for that population. And by the end of the year, only one of them was still on their drugs. After successfully replicating that experiment in another school, Zidane decided to make the neuroscience of mindfulness his thing, despite his professor's warnings that he'd never have a career. Today, in addition to running Zidane Lab, he also recently began heading up the UCSD Center for Mindfulness. Uh, I came to UCSD from the Department of Anesthesiology uh, two years ago, and uh, a month ago I was appointed as Executive Director of the Center for Mindfulness. Clearly, there was a huge shift in the discourse from when he started in the field to where he ended up. So what changed? I feel like it's, it's popularization in the Western world has been largely driven by the evidence of it. The really hard-nosed science that's come out to show that this isn't all frou-frou, it's not placebo, that there's actually real demonstrable changes in someone's personality and corresponding neurophysiology that gives rise to what's happening. The science behind mindfulness has been key to getting people to view it as a serious option for mental health treatment. Like Zidane mentioned, these breathing techniques have the ability to change how our brain functions over time. Without getting too technical, I asked him to help me understand just what's going on inside our heads when we slow down for a sec. The action begins with the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain right behind the eyeballs. That is a super evolved area of the brain, and it's associated with cognitive control, controlling your thoughts, and regulating your emotions. Then you've got the thalamus. It's the oldest section of the brain, and it's connected to our fight-or-flight response. So this is an area that relays sensations from the body throughout the rest of the brain so that it, it creates an experience. Well, they call it the sensory relay center. So when you start to practice mindfulness or meditation, the prefrontal cortex communicates with the thalamus. And basically, the PFC is like, yo, thalamus, stop taking my calls. And this takes us out of fight or flight. The new part of the brain is telling the old part of the brain to stop doing its thing. And so there's this phenomenon where the mind is, in essence, regulating or filtering the relevant information in real time through practice. Now, there's one more important element of the brain that slows down during mindfulness training. It's called your default mode network, and it's responsible for whenever our mind wanders or ruminates over something. Zidane describes it like this. You're riding to the mountains with your crew or your family. And you're three hours in, you're going 75 miles per hour, but you are nowhere near your crew or family. You're nowhere near your car, but you're still driving. You're on literally autopilot. Your mind is wondering, what are you going to do when you get there? What da, 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 da. That is default mode network. It's not resting on the beach, chilling, reading a newspaper, because that's 
not your default state. So we have now been able to discover a neural network that processes our regular resting state that's associated with mind wandering. Although this research is in the super early stages, mindfulness training is shown to take us out of the overthinking and mind wandering place so we can focus on the now and maybe make it to that mental beach. And what we found is that the more mindful you are, the less this network is activated. And the more that you're mindful and the less that this network is activated, this mind-wandering network is activated, the better you feel, the less pain you're in, the less depressed you are. For me, this was fascinating. Like most reporters or just people in general, my mind is always in 1,000 different places at once. And many of you have probably experienced a similar phenomenon, like you're thinking about the destination rather than being present on the journey. It's exhausting. So once I understood how mindfulness worked in the brain, I decided to look into ways that it was being used within our community to improve mental health. The first stop on this journey, school. The COVID-19 pandemic has hit our young population especially hard. Online school, increased screen time, less socialization. It's been tough being a kid out there. But there's one school that's been able to do things a bit differently. That 2020 was the year that Grower students showed more resiliency and responsibility than any year in history. They explored deeper and endured more than they ever have while hardly leaving town. That's the voice of Dr. Stuart Grower, founder of the Grower School in Encinitas. Because the Grower School is private and only has about 150 kids in total, the students have been on campus all year with heightened safety protocols. According to Dr. Grower, they haven't had any COVID outbreaks. We know for very sure that these measures are working, the masks and, and, and so on. And, and that also that uh, we, the other thing we know that's working is that when we do get the kids back on campus, they are more happy and more connected. Mindfulness has always taken a front seat at this school, even before the pandemic. Dr. Grower says the idea is to help students become more present and as a result, more ready to learn. If we don't establish the peace of mind in the classroom, uh, an anticipatory set, um, among the kids that that says, I'm ready, I'm at peace, I've let go of, of all this other junk, I'm ready to learn. If we don't do that first, there's no sense going on with the history lesson, with the math lesson. One way they achieve this is by thinking outside of the classroom, literally. Every student this year has spent nearly half of the day learning outdoors, but not just because of the pandemic. Everybody understands the restorative qualities of, of nature. And it's where we can let go of our issues, and it's where we can talk with our students about how to be a 100% pure observer, which is the whole point of mindfulness. Grower has implemented other techniques to promote presence and self-awareness in the school. Instead of the harsh traditional school bell, students hear a small ding or a zen bell to signal the end of class. Additionally, they'll play Baroque music or nature sounds throughout the school in between classes to get ready for the next part of the day.
But perhaps the most effective means of engaging students with mindfulness is actually a practice that the Grower School began during COVID. They replaced a daily school-wide assembly with small core values groups that both remote and in-person students could participate in together. These are groups of, you know, eight, six, eight kids, and they're sharing uh, how uh, resiliency or creativity or whatever the core values we're dealing with have actually uh, um, been expressed in their classes over the past week. And the other thing that we do is that every one of these meetings concludes with an expression of shared gratitude. Okay, so you might be thinking these are teenagers. Aren't they just focused on getting the latest phone or video games or whatever? Like, do they actually care about these conversations? Dr. Grower says absolutely. The kids, teens go weeks at a time without a meaningful conversation with an adult. I, I mean, I think back to my own high school, practically years at a time. And and if you, you think that about a situation where this is happening in most classes all week when you have small classes, but certainly for an hour a week just in these classes alone where you're really deep in uh, the conversations that mean something to you. In fact, these groups have made such an impact on the students that Dr. Grower wants to keep these going even when things return to normal. I wouldn't trade these core value groups for anything because they get kids a chance to talk to what's real for them. Uh, And the kids are receiving these messages uh, just with, with great delight and love talking about what they're grateful for or why they've been, how and why they've been resilient over the past week. Because of the Grower School's size and status, it's easier for them to arrange their curriculum in this way. Larger public schools face a bit more of a challenge, but recently they have also made attempts to work mindfulness into the curriculum. Diana Shimkus has worked in the mindfulness space for decades, way before it was cool. Much of her work is focused on tweens and teens, and before the pandemic, she was in discussions with local elementary and high schools to incorporate mindfulness trainings. I believe we will go back in the fall, uh, and I think when we will go back, uh, the Mindful Schools Initiative will be an essential, Yeah. right? Because kids are going to go back with anxieties. Kids have not been in school now for the most part for almost a year or more. Uh, they're going to be making that transition with more anxiety than they had before. In addition to her work with kids, Shimkus also helps adults train in mindfulness. And that is the focus on our final part of this journey. We are under a ton of mental health strain, and it's only increased in the digital age. As I think the level of information we're trying to process is so rapid, uh, the brain Uh, really needs opportunities for refuge and sanctuary and oasis. And we can actually, by virtue of the mindfulness training, use our own bodies for that, since you're dragging it around anyway. Like, why not use the breath and the body? With her private practice, North Coast Counseling, Shimkiss leads clients through breathwork to achieve this state of sanctuary. She also leads the Encinitas Mindfulness Community, where people can meditate together for free. Right now, they're meeting via Zoom, but typically they gather in person. According to Shimkus, the clients who actively commit to this training learn to become masters of their own emotional responses, 
which has profound effects on their mental health. What do we notice? Decreased anxiety, decreased depression, overall improvements in general health, physical health. Why? You're more attentive. You're more present. The mindfulness technique Shimkus teaches to her clients is quite simple, actually. It's a series of 60 breaths throughout the day. Some may start with 20 in the morning when they wake up, 20 on a lunch break, and 20 before bed. Others may take four or five calming breaths in between meetings or during moments of tension. Or maybe you do all 60 at once. But the point is, after 21 days of taking these 60 breaths, it becomes a habit. And Shimkus says people start to notice a difference. This does require practice, commitment, intention, and continuing work. It does continue to grow like any good muscle, right? So if you keep doing bicep curls, well, that bicep keeps getting stronger. As with anything, the hard part about practicing mindfulness is just getting started. Like me, you might be listening to this and thinking, yes, I want that, that sounds amazing, but how can I integrate this into my already busy schedule? What's your advice for getting started? Because I love hearing all of this and I'm like, this is so great. And then I get home and my mind is racing and I'm like, oh, I'm too busy. I can't do it. I mean, yes. what's your advice for just committing? Uh, well, the way we commit, they say is to start that first thing in the morning that before you race off, because remember a racing mind is hard to catch. So before you take off, you actually do the gathering and collecting, even if that's only for 10 breaths. Let's say you can't get to 20 because your dog's yelping or the kids are crying or whatever's happening. You can get to 10 breaths. We know that 10 itself will already invite that parasympathetic response. So that would be the first. Commit to 10 breaths once a day beginning first thing in the morning. Baby steps. Right? Baby steps. See how it goes. Most people, it doesn't take a day or two before they go, well, I went to 20 and it even felt better. So naturally, after learning about the benefits of mindfulness and all of these different techniques, I was excited to experience this for myself. Sitting in her outdoor office space on a bright, beautiful Southern California day, Shimkus walked me through a brief meditation. It was awesome. And a great way to refocus after our interview. I'm going to leave that here for you. Maybe you follow along at home now or you play it back later. Pay attention though to how you feel after. Hopefully this leaves you with a clear mind and a more present self. And whether you're sitting or standing, just get comfortable, relax, close your eyes if you want, and let Diana Shimkus guide you through a few deep breaths. The first thing you do is just take a big breath in, knowing that you're breathing in. Feel that nice, sweet air. Breathing out, big out. And with each out breath, you're going to notice now, big in, big out. Can you feel the way the body begins to soften and actually begins to melt into the earth? Can you feel that sense of softening? Like the shoulders get a little heavy, the arms get weighted. You can feel your hands in contact with each other. You can feel the release of the belly with each out breath. And now on the next out breath, breathing in first, I'd like you to breathe out as if you're attaching a flashlight to your breath placing that flashlight and the breath all the way down in the feet. 
What I do with kids is actually ask them to squeeze the feet, knowing where the feet are, and on an out-breath release, you can feel a warmth, a pulsing, a tingling. And then we'll move up the body, coming into the area of the hips, often an area that's uh, heavy and weighted from being seated. We're going to squeeze into the area of the hips, squeezing ourselves off our seat if we're sitting. And then on the out breath, just releasing. Ugh. Feeling the release. Next one, we're going to squinch the arms, the shoulders, and the hands, just tightening them. Ugh, squeeze. And then on an out breath, release. We've already just sutured the body into wholeness. And then we're just going to breathe into that whole body from top of the head all the way down to the bottoms of the feet. Breathing in, feeling the whole body expand. Breathing out, releasing, relaxing and softening. Gathering, collecting attention, and settling it right there in the body. See if you can catch now the beginning, the middle, and the end of the outbreath on the next outbreath. What you'll notice there is a pause at the end of the outbreath. We call that the uh, pause moment, the pause button. We just ride the wave of the outbreath into the pause, that open space, and we just relax for a second there. We're resting, waiting for the next in-breath. Feeling the rise, the expand, the filling, and then that release. Most people who do this for 20 breaths feel calmer, having activated the parasympathetic nervous system. They feel more connected, both to themselves and their environment. Like you've gathered all your marbles. And so we'll just check in now. We've done the 20 breaths. Just seeing what you notice the experience is for you. Just 20 breaths later, what do you notice about inviting the mind home to the body? And that is all for this episode of the North County Beat. We will let the sounds of nature take us out today. Why not? Special thanks to all of these mindfulness experts who spoke with me for today's episode. I hope you at home are feeling a little more relaxed and prepared for whatever you've got going on this week. Shout out to our team at the Coast News. Our podcast manager is Ryan Waltz. Coast News editor-in-chief is Jordan Ingram. Our associate publisher is Chris Kidd, and our publisher is Jim Kidd. Thanks to all of you for listening and supporting the North County Beat. I'm your host, Kelly Kyle, and we will talk to you next time.